It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio, July 4th edition. I'm David Leventhal, and on today's show, we will be spending the entire show talking about July 4th and what we are celebrating, this great experiment in American democracy and where we've gotten. And we will follow up as part of that discussion on our longtime discussions of freedom of speech, one of the most cherished ideas that Americans were supposedly fighting for on Independence Day. Or as our president puts it, we'll celebrate the Civil War. Anyway, we are sadly reminded of what we are celebrated. Well, most of us who know what we're celebrating on July 4th, we're reminded of what we're celebrating by recent events in Hong Kong, sadly. A sad reminder as China has cracked down on Hong Kong and instituted more repressive laws. You recall that it was just a few months ago that we were talking about the protests in Hong Kong and how much they had accomplished in fighting back against a tyrannical regime and fighting for the rights of the people in Hong Kong. Well, right now, that fight appears to have been squashed by China. It is a sad reminder of how power does not concede anything in the absence of a fight. It is a sad, sad reminder of which side we are on as we celebrate July 4th, which side America is currently on under the leadership that we have right now, where one has to speculate that maybe President Xi was not only emboldened by the fact that he has a green light from the President of the United States, in fact, maybe he was actually trying to ingratiate himself with the President of the United States by cracking down against protesters. And that's not even a joke. An authoritarian leader may figure that by cracking down on his protesters, he is actually ingratiating himself with the President of the United States. Put that in your pipe and smoke it on this July 4th. We also are reminded by what's happening in Hong Kong of the fragility of protest movements. As I noted, we were celebrating just a few months ago apparent successes in the Hong Kong protest movement. In fact, the governor of New York may have even told the protesters to go home. They'd already won. Well, as we ridiculed the governor of New York on this show a few weeks ago regarding the protests, that would have been premature, as it is in America. We are reminded of the fragility of protest movements and how quickly any gains can be erased. Americans protesting for justice right now, so nobly and so successfully across this country, had better not go home we are reminded, they had better keep up the good fight. Because China is another example that when they go home and when we declare the fight won, that is when we can be certain that the fight will be lost. Anyway, how did you celebrate July 4th? Did you, for instance, go to South Dakota and try to start a civil war? Probably not. During COVID, it probably wasn't so easy for you to even go to South Dakota, even if you wanted to. And since you're listening to Forward Nation Radio, you're probably not really inclined to start a civil war. Well, as I'm sure you already know, guess who did go to South Dakota and try to start the civil war again? 
Yes, the President of the United States did. The President of the United States decided that to celebrate Independence Day, a good idea would be to go to a monument to American presidents and supposedly to American freedom and glorify the secessionist movement, the secessionist south of the Civil War. Oh boy, it's, this is crazier and crazier. Um, you, unlike our president, of course, also were probably not motivated to go do that because you know that July 4th is not actually a celebration of the Civil War. I say this, of course, kind of as a joke, but seriously, out there, just take a moment. You all think it's possible, right? At least before he got whatever the latest briefings were, you knew it was possible that the President of the United States doesn't really know what we celebrate on July 4th, right? Anyway, the moron went to Mount Rushmore, where, as I've noted, we obviously famously got the heads of four presidents carved into stone. Well, that, of course, would not be an inducement to get Donald Trump would go there. Again, for listeners, a little intellectual exercise. How many of you think that his advisors got Trump to go to Mount Rushmore by telling him that it was the site of a Trump head carving contest where different famous sculptors were trying to sculpt Donald Trump's head in stone. And in fact, all four of those heads were pictures of Donald Trump. Some better than others. Again, it's a joke that's, you know, not all that funny because it's a little too close to probably being true. So the president of the United States went to go stare at at four huge images of himself and uh, pulled out, decided it would be a good time on July 4th to pull out all of his racist tropes. Basically, to delve into the GOP Republican playbook to pull out all of their strongest cards, to play all their Trump cards. Yes, while he was in South Dakota, He used the usual dog whistles when he wasn't just outright promoting racism and white superiority. He was talking about crime. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. He was talking about respect for monuments and, of course, respect for our heritage. That heritage being secession and being traitors to the United States of America. Just the thing you want to celebrate on July 4th. He, of course, went there to talk about the Confederate flag. Also, heritage. Confederate flag, undoubtedly not knowing that much of the Confederate flags we're seeing, the Confederate battle flag, do not date to the Civil War. They date to the Civil Rights Movement, as I've talked about in this show in the past. The Confederate flag, the Confederate battle flag, that are clearly responses to movement for equal rights. Not a question of Southern heritage, other than that heritage to be slave owners and to be white supremacists. Trump has decided that this would be a good moment to talk about fair housing. And by fair housing, I mean wipe out fair housing laws designed to prevent racism in lending and in selling of homes. He decided that this was a good time to pick on sport team names. Yes, some of us have been celebrating the fact that the most recalcitrant and somewhat racist or bigoted 
sport team names and sport team owners are actually coming out in light of the current justice movement and talking about reconsidering whether they should maybe change the names of their teams. Well, Donald Trump thought this was a good moment to speak out against that. Hell, the President of the United States decided that July 4th was a pretty good time to pick on NASCAR for not being white enough, taking down the Confederate flag, and to belittle the idea that the sole NASCAR driver of color had found a noose put in his locker, backed, as the president's arguments always are, by his usual list of outright lies. But maybe, among all the tropes that Donald Trump was slinging around on July 4th, maybe my favorite was his attacks on the left. It's specifically his attack on how the left in this country is trying to move the country to totalitarianism. Yes, that is the totalitarianism we need to fear in this country, the totalitarianism of the left. Can George Soros be far behind? I have not yet heard the president invoke the name of George Soros. I'm not sure why. He's a little behind on that one. Anybody want to take bets of whether he starts mentioning George Soros within the next week? You might say, well, he wants to pick on blacks. This is about white superiority. It's not about picking on Jews. <laughs> Tell that to Donald Trump supporters. He will undoubtedly energize his base by picking a fight with Jews. And let's face it, the right-wing Jews who support him right now are too fucking brain-dead stupid to even go against him when he starts pulling out the anti-Semitic tropes like George Soros. So why not? Yes, it turns out that draining the swamp is totalitarian. If he'd only known that while he was running in 2016, it might have changed things dramatically. Yes, According to the President of the United States, the left is moving the country to totalitarianism, is in fact calling for war against United States citizens. Calling for war against United States citizens sound familiar? So says the guy actually calling for war against United States citizens, as in the protest movement, as in people fighting for equal rights in this country, and as far as his political opponents. So the guy promoting totalitarianism, the guy who wants to be a totalitarian leader, the guy who thinks that the courts shouldn't be used against him, the laws don't apply to him, the guy who doesn't think that he's accountable to the American public or to Congress or anything else, thinks the left wants, wants his fucking moron followers, and, and why not, I'm sure it'll work, wants his fucking moron followers to be energized by the fact that they are fighting totalitarianism. And yes, we are reminded, I guess, I don't know, did Adolf Hitler, was part of his shtick that he was fighting on behalf of the average people against totalitarianism? I guess this is the new and improved version. Anyway, this is a reminder with Donald Trump's reaction to July 4th, his celebration of July 4th, that this is the white supremacy election. As I noted weeks ago, and I have been noting since I started this show more than three years ago, we have consistently from the very beginning underplayed how much 
Trumpism is simply about white supremacy. It, yes, it's also about tax cuts for rich people and selfish sons of bitches, but that doesn't explain very much of it. That in fact, the whole Trump phenomenon from the very beginning needed to be couched in the terms in which what it really represented, which is the, the push by white supremacists to, quote, take their country back, close quote. This is now out in the open. All pretense to it being something else is gone. And Trump is just coming right out right and making this an election. This is a referendum on white supremacy. Keep that in mind. And keep that in mind when you look at your <clears throat> friends and neighbors who support Trump. Just keep in mind what they are supporting right now and what they are fighting for. Because you might decide that you want to put some distance between you and that fucking shit. We are also reminded that this is the totalitarianism election. And no, not the totalitarianism as, as Trump would have it coming from the left. This is a battle between people who want to promote democracy and good governance in this country and accountability, as I talked about in last week's show, versus the Republican Party, which is now and has been for viewers, for listeners, for probably your lifetimes, has been the party of totalitarianism and lack of accountability. We are reminded that those who are supporting Donald Trump at this point in time and those who will go into a voting booth or lick an envelope with his name written on it should be shamed in this country. And for this July 4th, let's, if we do nothing else, let's remember how shameful some of our fellow so-called citizens are. Let's also consider on this July 4th moving on. July 4th, of course, is a celebration of American exceptionalism. This great experiment in so-called democracy with caveats that for much of its history, we should be proud, was an inspiration to much of the world. But on this July 4th in 2020, can we please acknowledge just how unexceptional we are? Or maybe if we are exceptional, it's not in a good way. Let's finally acknowledge that the superiority complex that Americans were born with is just bullshit. Can we please acknowledge that we are simply not superior to the rest of the world? Let's take a look at what's going on in this country, compare it to the world, and let's start with acknowledging that we may in fact be stupider than the rest of the world as a whole. Let's kind of hope for that because looking around, we know how ignorant and stupid our fellow citizens are. So what hope we can draw stems from the fact that we hope that there are people we don't know in the rest of the world who will make better decisions than people around us will. And that, of course, brings us to COVID and the latest on COVID. Where are COVID cases rising the fastest, as we've been talking about? They've been rising fastest, of course, in the red states, primarily, overwhelmingly in red states. In fact, the other day, the New York Times had a list of where it was rising the fastest. That was a day that California wasn't on the list. What was on the list was Idaho, Florida, Nevada, Montana, Missouri, Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, Kansas. 
You see a pattern there? With one exception that I'll leave it to you to find. Every one of those states is a red state. And so I guess I should clarify here that when we talk about Americans being stupider than the rest of the world, we're really talking about one political party and its adherents. We have a strain of ignorance, of anti-education, of anti-thought, anti-science in the Republican Party that one can only hope is pretty much unmatched in the rest of the world if we want to hope that the world has a future. We saw in the last week or two, because of these rising cases setting daily records in most of red America, the Texas governor, the Trump-supporting asshole, who had his back through the entirety of his failure to respond, just ordered wearing masks. As, in fact, have other Republican governors quietly ordered the wearing of masks that they have been against for so long. Well, it's nice to see Republicans come around and join the smart group or thinking group of this country for a change. I've always said on this show and going even years back to my students, one thing about Republicans is they might sometimes get it just a little bit too late, just a few years too late. So, you know, a couple years after the Iraq war started, after Republicans started the Iraq war, they decided maybe that wouldn't be such a good idea. Pretty much everything, they come around maybe a few years too late. So after we've really destroyed the planet, you can expect that a lot of Republicans will finally warm up to the idea, no pun intended, of climate change, okay? Uh, as I've argued, Republicans are a little bit late about everything because they just wish a reality away. The problem with the coronavirus is they tried to wish it away and they weren't able to wish it away. Facts tend to be stubborn things that Fox News won't just let you wish away. Trump, of course, is still going to be the exception to Republicans coming on board a little bit too late. He's still saying, around July 4th, he's still saying that it's just going to go away. Magically, it will just disappear. But of course, it's not going to. We're learning that it's, in fact, getting worse. In America, as opposed to the rest of the world, which is pretty much getting a handle on it, most, much of the rest of the world. Here was a statistic, a factoid. I particularly enjoyed it being a fact. Those on the right didn't have to worry about it. Arizona, with its 7 million people, had about as many cases, many new cases last week, as the entire European Union and it's 446 million people. Seven million people in Arizona. We saw as many new cases as 446 million people in the European Union. That is staggering. A staggering statement about American exceptionalism, such as it is. At some point, Americans need to accept science. That, I guess, is also on the ballot in 2020. Does reality matter? Does science matter in America? Americans, at least a huge segment of our population, are not just brain-dead stupid, brought about in part by ignorance from watching Fox News, but let's remember that a lot of Americans are just kind of shit. I'm, I'm asked by people all the time why Americans just seem to be doing so badly with this with this novel coronavirus. Obviously, the fact that we are leaderless is a big problem. The fact that we are run by an absolute clown who sees no political gain in protecting Americans is obviously a huge thing. But also a huge thing is that we are selfish shit. 
as a rule, let's come to grips with the fact that Americans tend to be selfish shit. And in fact, you think I'm, you, you, some people say, oh, how could he say that about Americans? The man hates America, hates his fellow citizens. But of course, so much of what the right is fighting for, they won't use that word, but that's exactly what this is about. This concept of libertarianism, freedom, individualism, is just selfishness with nice, in nicer names, in better garb. The, the, the celebration of freedom and individualism that we see among Trump supporters is simply a celebration of selfishness. Partying for them like who gives a shit about anybody else? People in Florida, young people want to party. They miss out on partying. So who cares how many people they expose? People in New York feel cooped up. Well, that's a fucking shame to you. People are dying. They are getting sick and dealing with a terrible virus. But that's not your fucking problem because you're a selfish piece of shit. And you will go out without masks. I had this in a supermarket near me on Long Island. A couple of people stood in the doorway to fight with the security guard. Blocked the doorway where people with masks was trying to get into the supermarket. These two stupid pieces of shit were sitting there fighting and arguing loudly, thus spitting potentially more virus up into the air. Their right to go into ShopRite without a mask on. The biggest joke, as I've indicated at length, about this whole freedom and individual thing is how much, and we're seeing this right now, how much of the freedom and individualism movement, how much of the libertarian movement in the Republican Party, how many of these counter-protests or protests in favor of not being able to, uh, not having to wear masks, are all being promoted by the usual right-wing billionaire pieces of shit. In other words, as usual, most of these brave American souls on July 4th who are out protesting for their freedom and their individualism are doing so while dancing like marionettes on strings being held by rich shit, like the remaining Coke, the Mercers, the usual garbage in this planet. Remember the two strains of protest in this country. As we look at what to celebrate on July 4th and what we might want to celebrate in November. One strain in this country is protesting for justice, for equality, for police not murdering people, for people being responsible for their action. The other side is fighting for their freedom to infect others. So I guess the election is not just about white supremacy. It's not just about totalitarianism. It's about people's freedom to be the shit that they've worked so hard to be in their lives. Anyway, I want to, in the context of July 4th, I've been talking about free speech over the last few weeks. This wonderful principle that was inscribed in the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights of the United States Constitution. Wonderful principle of creating a marketplace of ideas where Americans can thoughtfully choose their path forward. As I've talked about, talked about in the show dedicated to this a few weeks ago, we are left with a situation right now, and let's not deny it, where the way we are enforcing speech, free speech in this country is not creating that marketplace of ideas, that now mythical marketplace of ideas, that in fact it is shutting the doors to the marketplace. It is, in fact, limiting 
our ability to have an honest, thoughtful conversation about weighty issues that affect our futures. And of course, why is it that we are not creating a marketplace of ideas through the way we are enforcing our freedom of speech? Well, of course, because that is the way one political party not only wants it, but requires it. The Republican Party, of course, being a political party or criminal organization that is utterly bereft of any ideas at all, cannot succeed in a marketplace of ideas. When you've got no ideas, you can't go fight an ideological battle. What you can do is lie and scare. And that is the Republican Party. And unfortunately, the way we are enforcing free speech right now, we continue to get more and more evidence. What it is primarily doing is enabling the Republican Party to continue to spread lies to prevent the intelligent conversation of ideas that this country needs. I understand as an adherent to the Constitution, as a longtime member of the ACLU, I understand that changing the way we allow speech in this country, messing with the way we apply freedom of speech, is opening up a Pandora's box, potentially. But we are at the point now in this country where we've got no choice. We need to resort to desperate measures because we are in desperate straits. The way we are inappropriately enforcing freedom of speech, I think was made really clear over the last couple of weeks in several respects. First, regarding hate speech. And whether in this country, maybe, it is time to do something about how much we can disseminate hate and hate speech. It turns out there's some good news on this front in that the President of the United States is being shut down quite a bit these days on his usual platforms. Not enough, but shut down somewhat because of the extent to which the President of the United States, the leader of the free world, is fomenting hate. We started out with this a couple weeks ago with his, with his veiled threat, thinly veiled if it was veiled at all, to individuals who were going to protest against his campaign rally in Oklahoma in the midst of the COVID crisis. That he wrote on Twitter that protesters, anarchists, agitators, looters, or lowlifes. Notice how we put protesters in the same sentence with anarchists, agitators, looters, looters and lowlifes undoubtedly not noting a difference between those things. Who are going to Oklahoma, please understand you will not be treated like you have been in New York, Seattle, or Minneapolis. It will be a much different scene. In other words, he was threatening people with violence. He was threatening people who were going to assert their right to free speech with violence. Reddit in the past week has banned its biggest community devoted to Donald Trump. The biggest community on Reddit supporting Donald Trump was banned from Reddit. The Donald is the name of the community. One thing about the right, they, they, they show their sophomorism by having immature nicknames, consistently broke rules by allowing people to target and harass others with hate speech. Twitch banned the pre President Trump's channel. Not just his supporters, President Trump's 
channel on Twitch. I don't even know what the hell Twitch is. But I know that President Trump's channel is banned there now. Facebook is currently facing a revolt by advertisers regarding the extent to which it has been disseminating hate. A revolt by advertisers. Twitter, we're reminded, was just spared a tough decision regarding to what extent to to censor the President of the United States. Because it turns out that after President Trump, the leader of the free world, tweeted with praise a video of one of his supporters shouting white power in, in a Florida retirement community. He tweeted, he retweeted it with praise. He was compelled to take it down a few hours later. So Twitter was avoided that difficult decision whether to leave that hate up. President of the United States tweeting with approval, white supremacists. Note that these changes were only able to be made. These limitations on the freedom to to promote hate hate in your speech that this was only allowed because these are private entities not necessarily subject to the first amendment well maybe we should be limiting hate speech nationwide no matter who it's from yes folks and it's pathetic that i have to say this even if it's from the president of the united states we are also reminded over the last couple of weeks about our discussions about the marketplace of ideas and how the idea is that we are supposed to be spreading truth. That the idea of free speech is that if people say things that are noxious or not true, that will be called out. America will be corrected and Americans will get to choose from better options, more truthful options. But that, of course, is not how it works in America. We are reminded that for one political criminal organization in this country, the truth is always bad. Lies and propaganda are good. That is the way the Republican Party sees speech. We saw it first with COVID, where states like Florida decided that the best way to deal with the COVID crisis was to prevent information from being disseminated by by banning the release of hospitalization data. That was the way it was going to combat the COVID crisis, by not letting people know how bad it was. As Colbert famously said, reality has a well-known liberal bias, Florida reminded us. We see it with the protests. The media narrative continues to be about the violence. And the media is doing better than it's done on prior protests. But the media... The narrative too often is still about the violence of the protests without pointing out that the violence is generally being done by the police itself or themselves. We've seen this week the police attacking media. Videos all across this country with police attacking people who are obviously identified as media. Is this an accident? Of course it's not an accident. The police know who their enemy is. The police aligned with Republicans also know that reality has a well-known liberal bias and reality is their enemy. So the police know that the media is their enemy because the media will actually spread truth. And truth is the last thing that the police can be spread. One of the most eye-opening things I saw 
The New York Times had a great piece where it showed videos and step by step, it showed a, a peaceful protest turning violent in Seattle. They had a timeline and they followed exactly what was happening. And it was, it, it was just remarkable to see that it was utterly, completely started by the police. That, in fact, everything was going smoothly until riot police, who, of course, were geared for battle, replaced the regular police and within a minute started a fight, started lobbing tear gas and started shooting pepper spray into peaceful protesters' faces. Turns out we're seeing all across America, for those who look, that when the police are reined in, the protests actually tend to remain peaceful. We also see how the truth is bad, again, with respect to Donald Trump and his family. Remember, this is the most secretive president in the history of the United States because, of course, he's undoubtedly the most criminal president in the history of the United States. Well, in the last couple of weeks, we've learned that his family, those, you know, who believe in free speech, of course, are suing to stop Donald Trump's niece from releasing a book. Because after all, this is America. Nothing good has ever come from a book, after all. Unless that book was the Bible, if you're a Trump supporter. Or, or maybe Trump's family was suing just out of habit. We were reminded how these bastions of free speech actually require NDAs. Everything they deal with. Non-disclosure agreements that I talked about last week. It's pretty hard to say you're a big believer in the concept of free speech when everyone you've ever had a dealing with, you're requiring them to sign something that requires them to shut up. So much for free speech. That as the Trump family seeks to enforce the NDA to shut up one of its own who might have the gall to actually tell the truth. As a reminder of Donald Trump in the context of our discussions last week on tort reform. Donald, reminder that Donald Trump has spent his entire life suing anyone who has the temerity to possibly say the truth about him. A reminder that in America, the definition of a frivolous lawsuit is often one brought by Republicans. We are reminded in free speech of hypocrisy, how Republicans don't believe in free speech. We're reminded of that as the Trump campaign sent a cease and desist letter to CNN to stop it from releasing a presidential poll. Sent to cease and desist, you must stop telling America about a poll you conducted. These are people who will fight to the death for the ability of rich people to buy media for billions of dollars to lie to the American public. Newt Gingrich, former Republican leader, had a lying op-ed appear in the New York Times this week. I must admit I didn't read it. It was written by Newt Gingrich. So how did I know that it was a lying op-ed? Well, it was written by Newt Gingrich. And by all appearances, everything Newt Gingrich has ever said is a lie. And yet the New York Times published it. And that, of course, brings us to the free speech issue that's been a few weeks old. We haven't discussed it yet. The New York Times got embroiled in this free speech discussion. And in fact, the New York Times opinions page editor, James Bennett, was forced to resign a few weeks ago over an op-ed that was printed in the New York Times by Republican Senator Tom Cotton, Republican Senator and noted white supremacist and jackass and lying piece of shit, Tom Cotton, had an op-ed printed in the New York Times. This created a scandal, as you may know. It created a scandal in part because it was full of factual inaccuracies. It also created a scandal because it basically declared war on American citizens. 
It called for violation of American law and international law in attacks on American protesters. And as the Times so so eloquently puts it, needlessly harsh tone, read fascism. Uh, And, you know, so needlessly harsh tone, calling for war on American citizens and factual inaccuracies. And it turns out that created an uproar that led to the resignation of the New York Times editor. But it's led to some soul-searching about what the New York Times should be printing and what it should not be printing. This case, to me, was kind of an easy one. The Times gave itself an out when the editor said his mistake was he hadn't read it beforehand. He didn't see all the inaccuracies in it. The New York Times should not be printing something with factual inaccuracies or for that harsh of a tone. But... How do you deal with things written by Republicans to begin with that are by their nature misleading because that's all they've got in their arsenal? New York Times continued to put right-wingers on their op-ed page. These aren't crazy right-wingers and all or most of them are anti-Trump. So what are they going to have to do? Put Trump people on now? I've been using in one of my classes, a class on critical thinking where I talk about media, I've been using a couple of op-eds from the New York Times for years because the op-eds printed in the New York Times were, were deceptive, manipulative, and misleading in ways that, that almost no reader of the New York Times could be expected to pick up on his or her own. That, in fact, it was, it's only after careful scrutiny that one sees the misleading nature, the deception and manipulation in these articles. How do you deal with this? How do, you, how do you print something in the New York Times that is clearly manipulative of its readers? To me, that's a, that's a no-brainer. You don't. You don't print something in the New York Times that is liable to mislead. If you do print something, you need to put something in it as pr- prominently in the article that says, by the way, this sentence does not stand for what you think it stands for. Here's what it actually says. Because knowingly disseminating things that will, that will manipulate people, that people will not understand, is not promoting the marketplace of ideas. It is, in fact, just promoting propaganda, which, of course, we are reminded, is just the way the Republicans like it. Anyway, that's it for today's show. Lots more to talk about undoubtedly next week. Till then, be well, be safe. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 